Thanks for listening to The Rest is Politics. Sign up to The Rest is Politics Plus to enjoy ad-free listening, receive a weekly newsletter, join our members' chat room and gain early access to live show tickets. Just go to therestispolitics.com. That's therestispolitics.com. What does motion sound like? With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, it sounds a little something like this. Experience the magic of motion. Get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. Hey, welcome to Ikea, where even this desk is circular. Huh, how so? Looks pretty rectangular to me. It's because we're always looking to repair, reuse, and we love our products, like buying back your Ikea items for store credit. Or shop our as-is section for great deals. You can even order free spare parts. Get on the circular path for a more sustainable future. Still a rectangle. Get started at ikea-usa.com slash circular. Visit ikea-usa.com slash circular for as-is information and buyback and resale terms and conditions. Spare parts not available for all products. Here we are for another, rather astonishingly, in person, uh, where Alistair gets to grimace at me across the table. Um, question Get to time. the point! Question time version of The Rest is Politics. It's called The Rest is Politics Question, question time. time. With me, Rory Stewart. And me, Alistair Campbell. And unfortunately, both of us in the room, which I always find a bit intimidating. Um, okay, come on, now I'm going to start with this. Lewis Abbott, How to Suggest Policy. When a normal person in the street, such as myself, thinks of what they deem a good policy idea, what do they do with it? Who do I contact? I've emailed Keir Starmer via multiple channels and have not heard back. Any advice on this? I tell you, it's pretty shocking, actually. Well, listen, do you know what? I get this a lot from people. I think politics is uniquely bad at absorbing potentially good ideas from other people. Now, maybe his idea is terrible, and lots of people have really bad ideas which they think are brilliant. But I've, look, I'm quite well connected in the Labour Party. Yeah. I still know an awful lot of people. I've had quite recently been trying to get somebody who I think would be an amazing asset to the Labour Party in to see people at the top to see how they can be used. And he's getting quite close to giving up. It's a bandwidth problem, isn't it? The politicians end up not having any time to think. I remember Mitt Romney saying to me when I started as a politician, he said to me, you've got to do all your thinking now because you're not going to have any time to think when you're a politician. And one of the reasons they don't take on good people and good ideas is they're so stressed and overworked, their brains are basically shut down. But that's down. why you have to have people around you that you can know can do that. And I'll tell you one thing, you know, as, as, as you know, and I don't know if you saw the interview in the Times magazine where Saeed Awasi... No, you haven't told us about this. Are, well, you, do, are you doing a show? I'm doing how, a TV how, show how, how called Make Me Prime Minister. Make Me Prime Minister. Yeah, really, you and, and Saeed Awasi. Yeah. It was on Tuesday and it's going for C-suites. Anyway, Rory, we did an interview together with the Times magazine and Saida said that I was in love with Tony Blair, which, may I say, I am not. But I have enormous respect for Tony Blair. And one of the things I respect about him is that he did make time to think. And he did a lot of it on planes. And he would literally turn the phones off, like, for a few hours, and he would think. And then he would write, and then he would send out notes. But my point is, other people are... Every bit as good, people who are outside politics yeah. have ideas. How do you get them fed so, into the so, system? Well, one of the things I believe in really deeply, and I'm always getting in trouble for, is I'm a real believer in these things called citizens' assemblies, which are these juries where you randomly select 300 people from the country, a bit like a massive jury, and you let them get into stuff over six, seven days with a panel of experts. And the ideas that come out of those are extraordinary. It resolved the abortion debate in Ireland. 
I think it could have come up with a moderate Brexit if we'd given that kind of mechanism of proper, proper hope. Well, I'm hoping that Gordon Brown's late review for Labour of constitutional and democratic questions might do things like that. And I also see that he's, if, it's, if the reports are accurate, that he's thinking of getting rid of the House of Lords. Before I get into the House of Lords, are you which is go? kind of slightly worrying. Are you going to go? And, and, well, I mean, nobody's Would offered, you go? Nobody's offered Would me Would you go yet. into the House of Lords? Have you, you got a route in? Do I get to be called Lordy Dordy, he likes to party? I've always wanted that title. <laughs> Would you go into the House of Lords, Rory? Come on, just it's not, Yeah, 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 definitely, definitely. Would definitely, you? Definitely. Are you offering, really? I've been offered and I've said no several oh. times. Oh, that's, that's the story. That's the story. You see, that's what, now, but that brings me to another thing that you've been offered, I believe, before, which is strictly come dancing. Maria F., a non-politics one, brackets, sorry, have either of you been asked to do strictly, and would you ever consider it? For, for those of you listening in Albania, this is strictly is strictly come dancing. Did wonder for Ed Balls. Bet you both have a few moves up your sleeves. I've been asked many times. I've been offered a lot of money. How much they, how much they pay? The biggest one ever I got offered yeah. was not far off seven figures <laughs> for one of the jungle ones. You would have made nearly a million pounds for going to the jungle. It was a lot of money, but I think they were just testing whether I actually ever would say yes. And I said to them, I will never, ever say yes. <gasps> That's a celebrity would jungle. Would you do it? Would celebrity you do jungle, it? no. No, I wouldn't at that all. That was a very, very light I, no. No, no, that's a strong no. Would you do it strictly? Never. No, 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 I, strong no on You've all that stuff. You've got bad knees anyway. Strong no on all that stuff. I actually was asked in 2008, uh, a production company got in touch with me and they said, um, we hear you're a, you know, a bit of an expert on, you know, Indonesia and you speak Indonesian and, you know, you've done travel books and stuff. And I thought, oh, this sounds like a very classy offer. Then they said, well, so we've got this idea. What we're going to do is we're going to drop you and five members of the British public into the middle of the Borneo jungle. And then we're going to give you a chance to navigate them out over 45 days to the coast. Uh, and it's you or Bear Grylls, they said. Right? And I suddenly could see a sort of vision of this show where every single day it was going to be Rory as the kind of floppy-haired incompetent trying to know. Oh, no, it's, sorry. They, sorry. Sorry, I've missed the point. They were five convicts. That's right. Even better. Well, you believe in prison I was, reform. I was going to be in the jungle with five convicts, and every day they were going to be like, this fucking guy's got lost again. And I'd be like, now, come on, chaps. I think we just got to go north here. So I haven't done this stuff because I always thought that old Gorbachev looked a bit rubbish doing that pizza ad. I've got a file at home that is ridiculously thick and might one day make a book. Well, well, where was it? Which why is did, TV did, projects did, I've said no why to. Did you not, why did you not take a million pounds for going to the jungle? What no went wrong there? No way, no way. Why not? I think once you've done that, you've, you've moved over to a very dark side. Okay, now I know you had a question for me, but because you struggled to find questions for me, I'm going to ask you a question from Cam Singh, which really interests me. Mm -hmm. Okay. Started listening to the podcast Late Spring, which happened to coincide with me starting to read the Wolf Hall trilogy. Mm -hmm. Now, the reason we're talking about Wolf Hall, of course, is the amazing Hilary Mantel has just died. My brain has subconsciously somehow managed to assimilate the voice of Alistair with Thomas Cromwell. And I read the whole thing as if Alistair was playing Thomas Cromwell. Could Alistair have been Henry's fix and no offense intended? Hilary Mantel once did an interview or talked at a festival where she said that when you're reading the book, if you're a modern-day reader, imagine Alistair Campbell with an axe. That's what she said. Now, Rory, I've got a question for you. Yeah. Ellie Thompson, we've got some really eagle ears listening to this podcast. Does Rory realise that he used the term we in last week's Question Time podcast when referring to what we need in the Labour Party. 
Is there an imminent announcement we should know about, smiley face? Well, there definitely was until, famously, they announced they were abolishing the House of Lords. That's removing my big, <laughs> big incentive. No, no, they haven't announced it yet. So what, you would take a position in a Labour government if they bugged your peerage. I think you'll find that the police could get involved in that one, Rory. <laughs> Here's another one for you. Sophie Davis, following the catastrophic mini-budget, Kami Kwasi Kwarteng, would Rory extend give directly to the poorest in the UK? So, Alistair, thank you for that question. And just to remind people who've not been listening to every episode, Give Directly is a charity that I am the president of, and we work largely on extreme poverty, and we do it through believing very, very strongly that the most useful, efficient way of helping people in extreme poverty is not to try to guess what they want by giving them a bicycle or setting up a program for them, but by giving people cash so that they can actually choose to fulfill their needs. And it's miraculous. Right. So UK? Whether you're poor in the United States or you're poor in the United Kingdom, the most useful thing that you can have is cash because that allows you to decide what your priorities are. Mm. More than just being a question of you choosing what's useful for you, it gives dignity to you. It gives freedom to you. There is a difference, though, which is that the people that we're working with in Africa are living often on 3 or $4 a month. So the amount of money that you have to give in Britain or the United States to genuinely transform someone's life will be greater. But it's still true that actually somewhere at the very foundation of the welfare state, and I hope at the foundation of the welfare states that come to be built in the poorest countries of the world, is the idea that you give dignity to someone by giving them the freedom of resources. Okay, talking money, Siobhan, the prince who calls herself the Princess of Yorkshire, is the government a criminal cabal? Do you not think there should be a royal commission on corruption, on the looting that appears to be going on of the public purse, and on the insider trading? What do you think of that, Rory? Well, I do think we have a corrupt government, I, by the way. I definitely think we have a corruption problem in Britain, and I think that we need to set up proper institutions. And part of that was exposed by the horror around the ministerial code, the fact that Boris Johnson clearly broke the ministerial code, and it seemed to be difficult to do anything about it. So Parliament, the idea of Parliament's sovereign, do, do whatever it wants. And there's this, this famous 18th century quote uh, by uh, somebody looking at Parliament. He says, Parliament, the English Constitution, Parliament can do everything but make a woman a man and a man a woman. This is a great comment, right? Uh, which now it can. Which now it probably can, yeah, mm. probably can. world's moved on a bit since the 18th <laughs> century. Um, but that only really works when Parliament has a sense of its own restraint and balance. So the truth in the 18th century was actually the Parliament, House of Commons was balanced against the House of Lords, it was balanced against the monarchy, it was in effect balanced against the Church of England. And if Parliament has lost a sense of self-restraint, then we definitely need commissions, structures, rules, and regulations, how, laws. And, and Liz Trust that says she won't have an, have an ethics advisor even Johnson had one of those even because she says she knows the difference between right or wrong. And there's a situation, there's quite a few questions about this. Alex P, I'd be interested in your thoughts on Mark Fulbrook, Truss's chief of staff, who's been investigated, been interviewed by the FBI recently about another scandal, having his salary paid by his own lobbying firm. Now, the papers that reported this story, and by the way, if again, if that had been if that had been me or Jonathan Powell or anybody in Tony Blair's team, that would have led the news. 
Okay, it's barely registered. And, and, my, and my fear, my fear, because I know you often say this, my fear is that it's even worse than you think. You think it's that they're getting away with it because they're a right-wing government. I think it's even more awful for us, which is that actually standards in public life have dropped so much mm. that things which would have seemed very, very shocking in the late 90s... But I think the public mm. will be shocked by that. I, if I, they knew about I, it. I deeply hope the public are shocked if by it. If they knew, but, but they don't but, know. But, but I think that you were held to higher standards, not just because you were a Labour government, but because generally we expected more of our governments. So that one, for example, the, the, the papers that did write about it basically said that they thought this was a scandal because it, it, he was doing it so as to avoid paying tax. The point is, it's a total massive conflict of interest. It's also totally humiliating for the British government. So to be chief of staff to the Prime Minister should be... The greatest job, almost, that anybody can imagine. A chance to serve your country, to have the most immense power, budget of nearly a trillion pounds a year at the rate they're spending at the moment, and a chance to really make a difference. And Mm. for somebody like Mark Fulbrook, this is the moment to step aside and serve your country. Instead of which, I guess what's happening, even if he's not avoiding tax, I think probably more likely what's happening is he's probably paid a fortune. So what he's probably said is, I write... I'll let my company keep paying me and I'll work for you for free. I'll be seconded across so I don't have to take a pay cut. But it's so sort of budget and humiliating Mm. and awful Mm. for a country to be in that situation. Well, listen, here's another one, double standards. Tom Langridge, you talked last week about Michael Foote and the donkey jacket and Jeremy Corbyn not singing the national anthem. Why has there been next to no coverage of Kwasi Kwarteng laughing in church at the Queen's funeral. Let, let, me, let me try to defend him on that. I, I know I've become the professional quasi-Courtain defender. I saw that and I recognised the 13-year-old boy that I knew years ago. I think it's a weird, slightly geeky, facial tick thing he does. He, do, he does it a lot. If you watch him carefully, he will often... You'll see him walking down in the House of Commons suddenly chortling about absolutely nothing. Sorry, Rory, he was at the Queen's funeral sitting behind six former Prime Ministers who were all, even Johnson, looking like they sort of understood the gravity of what's going on. But I think he's not conscious of what he's doing. I don't think he was... I I genuinely think, to defend... Well, let me ask this question. Let me just finish on this, because nobody's defending him, and I'm going to try to defend him. It's not really defence, but I think he's laughing in some weird way in something that's just crossed his mind, and he's completely unaware of his body and his laughter. I don't think he saw anything. I don't think he was laughing at the funeral. Do you know what's defensible at the Queen's funeral? The defence is he's a weird guy. I don't think he was laughing at the Queen. I think he had a thought and he started chortling and he does that all all the time. All I'm saying, if that had been Jeremy Corbyn or Diane Abbott, would you say, oh, well, they're they're a bit weird? No, well, the, that papers, was basically, the papers that would, was basic, dis- would try to destroy them for saying they were disrespecting the Queen. That's basically been the Labour defence of Diane Abbott for about 20 years, hasn't it? God. Let me ask this question. <laughs> Obviously, this one is totally unrelated to Kwasi Kwarteng's strange behaviour. Sean, should MPs be regularly drug and alcohol tested, as in some other industries? I don't think he was off his head on drug and alcohol. I didn't say he was. I, just asked a to- I said it was a totally unrelated question. <laughs> But yes, uh, it would be a good idea. Yeah, it'd be nice and nice to take. Do you think MPs should be drug well, tested? It's easy for me to say that. I don't really. There is a problem I, with drugs in Parliament. I, apart from famously smoking opium at a yes. wedding in Iran, <laughs> I'm not a big drug guy and I don't drink very much. So it's fine for me to, to line them all up for being tested. They line might them really... all up? No... <laughs> I think there's quite a few members of the cabinet who've got experience okay. in that. Prisons, no. prisons. I want to ask you about prisons, right? Two questions here. Patricia Lewis, more than 70% of young people in custody re-offend within a year is locking up the wrong response. James Marshall, 
If you could do something truly radical with prisons, what would it be? So why don't you take those two together? Okay. So first thing is, she's completely right. I, I met a guy in Bedford prison who'd been in, when I met him, he'd been in nine times that year. Every time, basically, he was released, he'd reoffend and go back to prison. And so the, the, the answer to that is that one thing that I tried to do with David Gorg, and that was quite radical. Well, when David was at justice. When he was at justice and I was the prisons minister, is to abolish short sentences in prisons. So a lot of the problems in prisons and outside prisons are caused by people who are sentenced to prison sentences of less than two years, many of them for six months. They compose about half the prison population, and there is a shocking problem, which is that you are, in fact, more likely to reoffend if you're sent to prison on a short sentence than if you're not sent to prison at all. It's completely counterintuitive. The mm. public think that by sending someone to prison you're making the streets safer. But in fact, giving someone a community sentence, they're less likely to reoffend than if they get a prison sentence. Why? Because the prison sentence tears you out of your home, tears you out of your job, disrupts your life, puts you into this very difficult environment, pops you back out again in a few weeks, because often you're Durham prison, I think the average stay was 10 days, just long enough to disrupt your life, definitely not long enough to improve it. What's the radical plan then? So the radical plan was to get rid of all sentences under two years. And we actually got a white paper written. We got Theresa May signed up to it. She I was signed up to it. Huge political heat. There were front pages in the Daily Mail about me saying, Rory Stewart, prison minister, gives green light to criminals. Colleagues shouting they, in the House of the Commons. They backed a criminal as prime minister. I had, I had colleagues shouting, exactly those same people, shouting at me in the House of Commons. And I was trying to explain that actually getting rid of these short sentences would make the streets safer, well, you not were more right, dangerous. And they were wrong, Roy. Okay, here's a question for you. Tim Bale, given all the talk and concern, Tim Bale's dis distinguished professor, University of London. Yes, I know who Tim Bale is. Given all the talk and concern about the influence on the trust government of market fundamentalist think tanks mm -hmm. with so-called dark money funding, do you think it'd be a good thing if the UK followed Germany and allowed political parties to set up arm's length publicly and therefore transparently and well-funded think tanks of their own. Why do you say well-funded? Are we going to German? Um, I'll put that down to jet lag. Uh, well, we could do that now, could we not? Well, he says, I mean, look, he says these not only play a really important role in political and policy debate in Germany, but by having offices all over the world are also a useful platform for projecting both German soft power and democracy promotion. So things like the Konrad Adenauer Stiftung. Stiftung. Yeah. Very good. The Stiftung, yeah. the Friedrich Ebert Stiftung. Stiftung. Yeah. You can't be a good Stiftung. We need Stiftungen. And, and it would be called after some famous leader, right? Yeah, Rory Stewart Stiftung. Rory Stewart Stiftung. Yeah. What Tim Bell should understand is that we are the think tank. Well, you and me. You and I. Sorry, your grammar is just collapsing all around me here. It's, you wouldn't say you and me are the think tank, would you? <laughs> no, You'd say I, you and I, I are I the think tank. I wouldn't say that. No, so I therefore, would, it wouldn't be you and, and you and me are the think tank. No. <laughs> so, no, I, I think, look, the, this, this, the, this thing about the, the right-wing think tanks, though, I mean, those Institute of Economic Affairs people, the Tufton Street Brigade, yeah. they, get, they still get paraded by the BBC and Sky and ITV as though they're some kind of independent. Uh, they are part of a very right-wing political project. We need more of that kind of intellectual heavy lifting going on on the left of politics. So I think Tim Bell's absolutely onto something. Labour should be doing more yeah. of that stuff. Yeah. yeah. 
I'm Anthony Scaramucci, former White House Director of Communications and Wall Street financier. And I'm Katty Kay, U.S. Special Correspondent for BBC Studios. I've been covering American politics for almost three decades. Welcome to The Rest is Politics U.S., brought to you by Goalhanger. Go on, tell us, were those donations you made, like Obama in 2008, was that idealism? Were you hoping to get something out of these campaigns that would serve your own business interests, for example? So I think this will either make this podcast incredibly successful, Caddy, or people <laughs> will be horrified and they'll shut it off right now because I'm going to be very real with you. The Obama donation, I had gone to law school with President Obama. We were not classmates. I was a few years ahead of him. It was 2007. He was then Senator Obama. I had a check in my breast pocket. I went over to the senator. I said, Senator, I said, you and I didn't really know each other in law school, but I'm about to hand you a big check. Can I lie to my friends and tell them that you and I knew each other in law school? <laughs> well, Obama looks at me, had the best smile in American politics since Jack Kennedy. Forever. Yeah. He lights up. He looks at me, so I'll tell you what, if you double the amount of the check, we'll take it back to Hawaii, okay? And I looked at him. I said, you're done. I had another check in my pocket. I ripped it up. I doubled the amount of the check. And I'm going to tell you right now, I've been to more White House Christmas parties during the Obama administration than the Trump administration. In this pivotal year for the United States, democracy and world affairs, Britain's biggest podcast, The Rest is Politics, is launching stateside. Uncovering secrets from inside the Biden and Trump inner circles and how they shape the world's most important economy, but also the global economy, too. New episodes are released every Friday morning. Just search The Rest is Politics U.S. wherever you get your podcasts. And here we are, back from the break. Our final question yeah, yeah. is directed directly at you from Dr. Wendy Smith. And you may not be aware of this story, but if you aren't, I'll fill you in on it. Rory, did you ever spend thousands of pounds on haircuts and beauty treatments while at Diffid? And could you please explain the approval procedure for expenses? Do you know what this is about? Uh, the, I, I guess one of my colleagues has presumably been spending a lot of money on haircuts and makeup. And do, do you know who it might be? Could it be quasi Corte? No. Think even more senior within the government. Liz Truss. That's the one. <laughs> the, Emily Thornbury has got hold of all these spending from Liz Truss's foreign secretaryship, including £1,800 to Norwich City Football Club, which apparently Liz Truss supports. And how much was she spending on haircuts and stuff? A lot, thousands. That's pretty weird. Whether it's her or it's the department, I don't know. But the point is, they won't answer questions about it. That is pretty weird. I, I think that's pretty weird. What was the worst, what was the, the, the most... So I wasn't allowed... So Liz Truss, when she was the Secretary of State Deferent, and I was the flooding minister, um, and I was very keen to try to learn about the American experience from Hurricane Katrina, you remember, mm -hmm. being disaster. So I, I said, I want to fly to the US and talk to the Americans about what they learned, because I'm the flooding minister, I want to learn the lessons from them. And I was told that... I could not get a £400 economy class flight to the United States as the flooding minister in charge of a £2.4 billion budget to have a meeting with the United States. Who told you that? The, the, Liz Truss? The, the permanent secretary oh. and apparently on instructions from Liz Truss that there was going to be no travel paid for. So I paid for myself to go to talk to the head of the Federal Environment yeah. Management. Well, yeah. that, well, so why is she allowing 
spending of on haircuts and beauty treatments and, and tickets at Norwich City Football Club. I don't get it. Is it possible they were taking some great foreign dignitary to watch Norwich City? Well, I'm a very good friend of Delia Smith, who's the big cheese, and I can assure you that Delia Smith would not charge Something some foreign, great foreign dig- dignity. dignity. She'd welcome him and feed him and give him or her a very nice time. Wait a second, so something it, very is, weird is, is going Norwich on. Is Norwich City not near... Uh, Liz Truss's yeah, constituency. Yeah, she's, she's she's apparently she supports Norwich City, which is not a crime. Ed Ball supports Norwich City. Yeah. Charles Clark supports Norwich City. That's a bit odd. The whole thing's odd. Rory, I know you've been very busy, but yeah. Google Emily Thornbury on Liz Truss expenses and see the list. It is weird. And back to double standards, there's next to no coverage of it in the right-wing media. And there's also been a series of requests it's on the meetings today. done in the Foreign Office by Chris Bryant. You've been following this, I'm I sure. Have, yes. Yeah, yeah. So Chris Bryant, uh, ex-clergyman, isn't he? Mm. Labour MP. He actually appears in episode three of Make Me Prime Minister in two weeks' time. My goodness. Alongside Johnny Mercer. Wait, wait, is this the show that she did with, with Baroness Saeed, Saeed Wasi? Yeah, yeah. Which I plugged almost as much as you plugged your not very interesting, I mean, your excellent documentary, radio documentary series about Actually, arguments. you haven't listened to that, and I'm going to be watching your thing so loyally. Are you? I mean, I'm really offended. 9.15 Tuesdays. Yeah, brilliant. 9.15 Tuesdays. Um, yes, anyway, so finally, Chris Bryant's been trying to push questions on meetings in the Foreign Office, and he's noticed a very odd thing, which is that you're supposed to record all your meetings with other people. And it appears from what he put out on Twitter that in November and December, this trust had recorded only two meetings in the foreign office. And actually, I think people accuse her of many things, but she's not idle. She's a very busy, active person. So the question is, who were the other meetings with? And could we please know? Well, she doesn't strike me as being terribly keen on the old transparency thing now that she's got the top job. But Rory, this is all coming back to a central point. The rules and of the institutions that are meant to hold government to account are collapsing, and people are not angry enough. And we've been talking about Iran, where people are taken to the streets. We've been talking about Brazil. In fact, let's close with this question um, from Christina Malays: If the RSPB are calling for mobilisation, how long before? We see mass civil unrest. I actually don't think we we might be not that far well, away. So, so let's just finish on that. Because I'm not that, suggesting that the, that's what we want, no, I, but I'm suggesting people need to be angry so, about so, this so, bloody so, government. So, so one of the reasons why we should be angry with the government is that what is happening is that the last shreds of what used to be the called the one nation tradition of moderate conservatism is going out the window. First, we've had all the ideas of balancing the budget and fiscal responsibility out of the window. They're borrowing and spending like you can't believe and cutting taxes at the same time. And now, actually, our stewardship, in inverted commas, that we used to be proud of, of nature, the countryside, the landscape, six years of work of trying to build a sensible environmental policy, one of the few things that actually Johnson government got okay, is now seems to be ripped up as well. And I can understand why all these nature organizations are in the street. Massive and growing poverty. And a government that's economic strategy is devoted to the top, the people, the, the people who've already got lots. It's just it's, it's and deeply, and deeply, deeply, deeply distressing. They're dishonest. Deeply distressing. And I think we've got to be a lot angrier than we are. Wait a so I know we're meant to be finishing us, but where is the apathy coming from? I think a lot of it is the way our media covers politics. But I think we've just, I think a lot of people are just turning away from it and thinking they can't do anything so, about so it. So I saw this in the lead up to the Italian election and there was some fantastic Al Jazeera reporting. I want to put it. Absolutely. A, a little probe for Al Jazeera, in which every Italian they were interviewing was just like, they're all the same, all these politicians the same, I'm not going to go and vote. And at the bottom of it, 
is this massive economic crisis hitting Italy with energy prices, an even more extreme version of what's hitting us now. Right, so it's people thinking they can't make a difference and the politicians can't make a difference. So then we get the bad politicians who do make a difference, but it's for the worse. Right, and then we get the Berlusconi-Boris and everything that follows on from that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I do, but I do think so that... So economic decline, apathy, cynicism... Media. And it creates this horrible, vicious environment, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah, it's got a change, Rory. And on that note, we bring this to a close. Thank you, Rory. <laughs>